0: Got your Bibles? Why don't you grab them this morning? The book of Galatians, chapter 4. I'd like to wish all the mothers who are here this morning a very happy Mother's Day. Mothers are a very important part of our life, besides the obvious. I'm here today because I have a mother that prayed for me. She still prays for me. She's relentless. And many of us would testify of the same. Mothers have single-handedly intervened to bring their children back to God. There's something about the heart of a mother that us men do not understand. So we honor our mothers this morning, amen. picked a passage of Scripture to read from this morning that I hope won't present with too many difficulties. I'm hoping to kill three or four birds with one stone this morning. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19, everyone say amen. We're going to read a few verses. Says, My little children, of whom I travailed in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now, to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, did you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was of promise. Which things are an allegory. It's an important word there. It means a story, a, a, an example. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendeth to bondage, which is Hagar or Agar in the King James Version. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and announces to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Verse 26 is probably my key verse. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. It's probably one of the most misinterpreted Scriptures in the Bible. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate has many more children than she which has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac were, are the children of promise. Everyone say, the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Praise the Lord. I want to talk for a little while about the mother of us all, the mother of us all. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. As I said, that scripture that I read in Galatians 4 and verse 26, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. I've heard that misinterpreted misinterpreted quite a few times. Um, I've had someone knock on my door and tell me that... uh, In addition to God, the Father being God the Father, there is also God the Mother. And they use that verse as proof of that. But that's not what that verse is talking about. The Bible says that it's an allegory or a story or an example that we can have spiritual meaning to. Amen. Now, Galatians is what we would call the Christian's Declaration of Independence. To give you a little bit of background here on the story... The Galatian church was started by the Apostle Paul, and as he had preached through there, there was a great revival, and he had moved on, being a missionary that he was, he'd moved on somewhere else, and and he looked back to the Galatian church because the Galatian church had been infiltrated, or had perhaps maybe been taken over, might be a better way, um, by people who were Judaizers, Judaisms, or in other words, they were legalizers, or legalism. And they were saying that, yes, we've got to be, you know, this new birth experience is important. And yes, there's justification by faith. But we also need to be obeying the law of Moses. Right? So they were saying, we need to have all the feast days. We need to be, have all the males circumcised. We need to make sure we don't do any work on Saturday. We need to do this and we need to do that because this is what... The law of Moses is saying. They were teaching that Christianity could only work inside the law of Moses. They believed that just having faith in Jesus Christ was not sufficient. That you had to tick off all these different, you know, the Ten Commandments and all the laws of Moses, all the dietary requirements. You had to do all of those as well. Amen. And had they won... Then Christianity today would be merely a uh, sect within Jerusalem just another version of Judaism amen but Paul argued throughout the book of Galatians if we if we flip through and read a few of these Galatians chapter one and, and verse eight but though we or any other angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Verse 12, "'For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ.'" Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, "'Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law.'" For by the works of the law should no flesh be justified. Or in other words, what he's saying is for over 2,000 years, the children of Israel tried to keep the law to be holy and righteous before God, and they failed miserably. It was just not possible for mankind to be able to keep that law 100% of the time. They failed and this church in Galatia is falling back into, yes, we've been saved by grace. Yes, the way of salvation is open to us. But we still need to hang on to all these laws that Moses laid out for us. Amen. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not by just, not by just following laws, not by ticking off a bunch of text box and boxes and check boxes and fulfilling all the requirements that Moses had laid out, but by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. And Paul was telling Galatians, you're frustrating the grace of God. God has opened up the way of salvation, and you're saying, no, 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 we need to bring all these old requirements and old laws into this New Testament covenant, amen? Galatians 3 and verse 10, For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not. In all things, all things, which are written in the book of the law to do them. Or words, oh, he saying, The Bible, the law says, if you don't follow the entirety of the law, you're guilty of one little part that you miss up on. You might as well not bother obeying any of it. And he's saying, how are you going to live like that when we've been justified by faith? Amen. Over and over again throughout the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. In verse 1, "'Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage.'" Amen. Verse 7, "'You did run well.'" Of chapter 5. "'Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth?' Hey, we got that working. Didn't know we could do that. "'You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth?' Jump down to verse 22. Look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. For if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Or in other words, he's saying, if you've been telling me that you've been made alive by the Spirit of God, we should be walking in the Spirit of God. We shouldn't be trying to bring along these works that Moses laid out for us under the old covenant. Praise the Lord. Verse 14 and 15. But God forbid that I should glory of chapter 6. Chapter 6 verse 14. That I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the cross. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. But a new creature. He's saying that you know. When you're trying to bring in these works that Moses, when you're trying to fulfill all the dietary requirements and all the feast days and and all the different rituals and all the different sacrifices and all the different things, you're bringing bringing that and saying, I'm looking at what I'm doing. I'm pretty good. I'm becoming a good Christian. But Paul's saying, no, no, no. The only thing, the only thing that we can have any glory in is in the fact of the cross. That is fulfilling the law, and that is what we put our, our hope in. Amen? Amen. And in the middle of all of that, he's arguing with logic and with emotion, and it's, it's in, an invincible argument for justification by faith. And in the middle of that, we read the story of Hagar and Sarah. I want to read it in a, in a different version, if I could, the message, and, and I don't normally Read from other versions, but I think it gives us a little bit of medium, uh, a little bit of clarity here. Verse 19 says, Do you know how I feel right now and will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in you? In other words, he's saying, By trying to just fulfill this law, I can't see Christ. All I see is people trying to fulfill the law of Moses. Amen. Like a mother in the pain of childbirth, oh, I keep wishing that I was with you. Then I wouldn't be reduced to this blunt letter-writing language out of sheer frustration. You can really hear it, can't you? Tell me now, you who have become so enamored with the law, have you paid close attention to the law? Abraham, remember, had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. The son of the slave woman was born by human convenience. The son of the free woman was born of God's promise." This illustrates the very thing we are dealing with now. The two births represent two ways of being in relationship with God. One is from Mount Sinai in Arabia. It corresponds with what is now going on in Jerusalem. A slave life. He's saying this is the old law. This is Judaism. It's a slave life. You're a slave to the law. Amen. In contrast to that, There is an invisible Jerusalem, a free Jerusalem, and she is our mother. This is the way of Sarah. Now, what is the Bible talking about when it says Jerusalem, who is above all, is the mother? Now, I can tell you what it's not talking about. It is not talking about some other mystical being called God the mother. Okay, If you believe that, come and see me afterwards and we'll have a chat and a Bible study. Because that is not what the Bible is teaching, amen? It's an illustration, amen? What it is talking about is the church. That is what Paul is talking about. God is our father, amen? No one's disputing that. We understand God is our father, but the church is the mother. I see a few people looking at me like, hmm, okay, please explain. Okay, think about it like this. Who provides typically, now typically speaking... Who provides the nurturing in a human relationship with a husband and a wife? Right? The mother does, right? right? The mother is the one who's coming. When Jonathan stubs his toe, he doesn't come to daddy. He goes to mommy. When Jonathan's, you know, wanting extra goodies from the fridge, he doesn't come to daddy. Daddy says no. He goes to mommy. Right? Mummies provide the nurturing. Mothers provide the nurturing and the care. Dad, and this is, like I said, this is just a typical normative example. Most people, most families... The mother provides the nurturing, the father provides leadership, direction, provides for the family, right? Now think about it. Who is responsible for getting people into the church? Or let me rephrase it another way. Who is responsible for people's salvation? That's a good way of doing it. Who's responsible for people's salvation? God is. I can't save anybody. It's true. Not on my best day. But God sends them to the church, right? Because He wants us to teach them, to build them up, to explain to them God's Word, to show them how it's going. So the church provides the nurturing. The Bible says the church is what? The bride of Christ. Amen. And so the church is the mother. Amen. You cannot be born without both. The father begets the children, but the mother births it and nurtures it. Amen. Amen. The mother is the one who brings it up and, and teaches it and instructs it and brings it into relationship, amen? And so what is the church like? As we think about this, what is the church like? The first mention of the word church is found in the New Testament. Sorry, the first mention of the word in the New Testament is found in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Have we turned aircon's off or something? Goodness me. I'm going to take this off. I'm sitting here noping. I'm like, whew. Is it gotten hot in here. No, no, if people are freezing, that's okay. I can just take jackets off. It's all good. What is the church like? The first mention of the church in the New Testament is found in Matthew chapter 16. And verse, um, let's start reading from verse 15. But he said unto them, Whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not Peter, upon the revelation of what Jesus just said, or what Peter just said, upon this rock I will build my house church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it amen so what is the church like the first thing i can tell you about the church is that it is a victorious church That it is going to be triumphant, amen. The church, let me tell you, the church is the only thing the gates of hell will not prevail against. The church is the only thing that will not be shaken. Look at this. The earth, in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 19, the Bible says that the earth will be shaken. Ezekiel 38 says the nation of Israel will be shaken. Haggai chapter 2 says the heavens and the nations are to be shaken. Hebrews chapter 12 says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But the one thing that will not be shaken is the church of the living God, because the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Amen. The church will be victorious. The church will stand strong. The church will be triumphant. Amen. So the church is victorious. What else is the church like? The church is not God's plan B. See, this is the problem that the Galatians had. They figured out that, well, you know, this, this law has been working for us for 2,000 years. Our fathers followed it, and our grandfathers followed it, and our great-grandfathers followed it. And, and, and so this must be a plan B for God, this whole church thing, this whole justification by faith, this idea that Jesus paid the price and we don't have to fulfill the law anymore, amen? But the church is not God's plan B. You are not God's plan B because plan A failed because the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. No, because it was prophesied from the Old Testament. Look at this. In Genesis chapter 22, right in the very first book of the Bible, it says that all nations, not just the children of Israel, all nations were to be blessed by the seed of Abraham. Who's the seed of Abraham? Jesus Christ. Amen. All families of the earth were to be blessed by Abraham's seed, Genesis 26. Psalm 22 says, all kindreds of the nations would worship the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 2, it says, in the last days, all nations will flow unto the house of God. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says, the Gentiles. Everyone say, that's me. The gen- we don't have any Jews here, do we? No, we're all Gentiles, Right. The Gentiles would seek the root of Jesse. That's Jesus. Isaiah 52, many nations would be sprinkled with the blood of the Messiah. Zechariah chapter 2, many nations will be joined unto the Lord in that day. Amen. In Malachi chapter 1, the name of the Lord will be great among the Gentiles. In Matthew chapter 12, it says, in his name, The Gentiles will trust, amen? I'm here to tell you today, church, that we are not God's plan B. We are not God going, okay, well, I need to come up with another option because the Jews rejected me. No, but from the very beginning of time, God had a plan for the church. God had a plan for each and every person that's here today, and He has brought us together so that together we can make a difference. We are not God's plan B, amen? Jesus even said that the prophets who gave those prophecies that I just spoke about, He said that they would have loved to have seen and heard the things that were happening in our age. That's in Matthew chapter 13. But look at this. First Peter chapter 2, it says Moses would have loved to have seen the New Testament church and the priesthood. Isaiah 28, says Isaiah would have loved to have seen Pentecost. Acts 1 and 2, can you imagine what the prophet Joel would have thought if he had been there on the day of Pentecost? You know, his prophecy in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Can you imagine if on that day of Pentecost, he was there in the upper room, watching the fulfillment of his promise? He would have loved to have been there. Enoch would have loved to see the translation of the saints. Israel would have loved to see the true Passover, instead of this constant every year, pushing on, pushing on, Pushing on, pushing on, having to do it year after year after year to be able to realize that Jesus was once and for all enough, amen. So the church is victorious. The church is not plan B. The church has been prophesied since the beginning of time, amen. The church is what the Old Testament prophets would love to see. So we've talked about what the church is. What's the church not? Because I think there's a lot of people who get quite confused about what the church is. So let me tell you what the church is not. The church is not a building. Newsflash. The word is never used. Never. Everyone say never. Never used in Scripture to refer to a material building. And the word church is used 140 times in the New Testament. The language that the Bible uses of the church could not possibly be applied to a building. The Lord added to the church... How does the Lord add to a church? It's not by bricks. It's by people. Amen. Herod vexed the church. How did Herod vex a building? No, he vexed the people. Amen. The church was persecuted. Paul saluted the church. The churches had rest. It is only in the tradition of men that people can go to church. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So when Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 16, where he said, I will be build my church, he's not talking about a physical building. He's not talking about bricks and stones and tiles and carpet, amen. He's talking about the hearts of men and women who would come to know him for who he is. And that's what we are today, amen. This church is not this building. That's why I don't care two hoots when we leave this building and go to another one, because this building is not what's important. What is important is the people who are sitting on the chairs in this facility who are giving their hearts and their lives to God, amen amen you are the church praise the lord i'll tell you what else the church is not the church is not a denomination the church is not a denomination now i think denominations are good i think they're good because they help us get organized they help us make sure we're fulfilling legislation i like the upc amen I think it's a great organization. But the moment we begin to think that just because we're part of some bigger group, we announce, no, it's got nothing to do with it. Amen. Because we can call ourselves whatever we want to call us, but the true church is one that follows God's word. Amen. Denominationalism ends up just causing friction and division and disunity amongst people. Amen. Because they end up getting built. Let me tell you something. They end up getting built around people. And before you know it, people begin to become more important. A person sitting at the top becomes more important than the church. Oh, I'm treading on some toes this morning. I'm sorry. The truth is, is that whether you're a part of a denomination or not is not going to get you saved. Amen. It's not going to get you saved. It's really not. Praise the Lord. The tragedy is is that each revival of truth finds its bitterest enemies in the previous group which had the light from heaven. The cycle goes from man to movement to monument. And when we begin focusing on just the fact that we're a denomination, we end up building monuments to man's ideas and monuments to man's theories and man's, man's solutions. But the reality is, is that the true church of the living God is going to always be in revival. It's going to be always built on God's Word. It's going to always be built on the move of the Spirit. It's going to be built on the entirety of God's Word, not just because we're part of some denomination. Amen. The church is also not the entire kingdom of God. The kingdom is larger than the church. It includes angels. It includes Old Testament saints. The church is confined to believers in this present age. amen. So you have to be in the church to be saved. That's why I said church is not a denomination. You don't have to be in the UPC to be saved. You don't have to be in the ACC to be saved. You don't have to be in the Catholic church to be saved. You can be one of those and be saved. Well, now you're really like, whoa, pastor's really whacked out on his theology now. No, because if you are willing to obey God's word in its entirety, you can be a part of the church. There are plenty of people out there who are not part of our denomination who are saved on their way to heaven, living victoriously for God because they're obeying God's word. Praise the Lord. What is the church? The church is the eternal purpose of God manifest in time. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11. Let me just turn there. To the intent, verse 10, we might read verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known, who by the church... The manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have always been in God's mind. The church has always had a purpose. The church has always had a plan from God for its life. That's why it's victorious. That's why the gates of hell will never prevail. That's why we can make plans and we might fail sometimes. There might be some battles we lose, but we're never going to lose the war because God has already triumphed. The church is already victorious. Even when things might be gone bad sometimes, we're We're still part of a victorious church. When things don't look like they're working out, we're still part of a victorious church. Amen. It has an eternal purpose from God. Now, this is also something else that's interesting about the church. The apostolic church is the perfect will of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Church's history, or or rephrase another, church history's long detour through the dark ages. I mean, what happened? What happened from the day of Pentecost we began to see denominations form. And man's ideas begin to take over. And slowly they move down. And, and through the dark ages, they were off in some weird, wacky, wonderful land where, you know, if you wanted to, your child to be saved, you had to pay me some money and I would baptize your child. And, and if you didn't baptize your child, your child would be cursed to become a firefly in the night for the rest of all time. These are the kind of woo, wacky things that came out of the dark ages, Right? This idea that, you know, you you have to live holy and righteous, but if you need to sin, you can buy a piece of the true cross from your pastor for $35,000, and then you can go do whatever you like for the rest of your life. As long as you repent just before you die, it's okay. Wow, crazy, right? And yet, as we trace through history, through all of those Um, loops and roundabouts and U-turns and crazy, wacky beliefs that came out, we understand that that was only the permitted will of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Matthew chapter 19 gives us a principle here that's illustrated in Matthew 19 concerning the matter of divorce and remarriage. Now, let's go there. Actually, let's read it because I see some people looking a little confused. The Pharisees, verse 3, Matthew 19, verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That's what God says. And the Pharisees turn around, and they say, they said unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? Well, hang on. If you're saying that's what God says, Moses tells us it's fine. We can just write a bill of divorcement and get rid of her if we don't like her, right? And Jesus said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Or in other words, what God is saying, what Jesus is saying here is that there's the difference between what is the perfect will of God and what is permittable. Amen. And church history, as it went through all of these things, God did not create robots. Mankind was searching for the truth and was being led astray by men in high places and, and all sorts of weird and wacky and wonderful things happened and God permitted it, but it's not God's perfect will. The church is God's perfect will, amen? We see this in the example of the story we read. Isaac was God's perfect will. Ishmael was God's permitted will. That didn't mean Ishmael was not blessed. He came from Abraham. He was blessed. God blessed him. He became a mighty nation. Abraham sent him away wealthy and rich, right? But Isaac was still the son of promise, amen? This happens in the church world. We see people who believe, who still have weird, wonderful, wacky things, but they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Right? But they're still blessed. They're still blessed, aren't they? But they are not the child of promise. Amen? Praise the Lord. Last thing, the church is also the ecclesia. Now, what's that mean? The church is the called out ones. Now, where did this come from? From the day of Athens, the classical days of Athens, the Ecclesia was the convened assembly of the people. All citizens who had not lost their rights, praise the Lord, all citizens who had not lost their rights um, would come together and have a people's assembly. This was in the citizens of Ath- city of Athens. Apart from the fact that the decisions had to conform to the laws of the state, Amen. Its powers were to all intents and purposes unlimited. This assembly elected and dismissed magistrates. This assembly directed the policy of the city. This assembly of the people declared war. It made peace. It contracted treaties. It arranged alliances. It elected generals and other military officers. It assigned troops to different campaigns. It dispatched them from the city. It raised funds. It allocated funds. It was ultimately responsible for the conduct of military operations. And these meetings became with, began with prayer and sacrifice. This is the city of Athens I'm talking about. It was a true democracy. The two watchwords in that city was equality and freedom. Everyone had equal rights, and everyone had equal duty to take part. And so for the secular Greek who a lot of this Bible was being read by, the Ecclesia meant an assembly of free citizens who were called out of their homes or places of business to assemble together to give consideration to matters of public interest. This is why the church is the called out one, because we are not just called out, but we are called to assemble together, amen? We are called out to gather together, to discuss matters of spiritual interest. Amen. Ecclesia. Ecclesia in the New Testament is used 114 times and 110 of those speak about the church. Amen. The church is the free citizens of the heavenly community summoned by the gospel from their places in the world and assembled together to hear from God. But here's my last point that I want you to know. We are not just a select few who are picked out. Because the church is not exclusive. The church is inclusive. And this is really why I wanted to talk a bit about this today. Because a lot of people accuse the church of being exclusive. We're not exclusive. Everybody is welcome. Everybody can come. No matter what their background, their, you know, where they've been in life, what their story is, what country they come from, what they believe. I want everybody in this church. Amen? Amen because we can teach them God's Word, amen? And so it's not just exclusive, but it is inclusive. The summons is for everyone to come and shoulder his responsibility. And this is the important thing about the Ecclesia. Everyone has a responsibility. We're not just called to sit and be frogs on a log, so to speak, amen? But we have responsibilities, We've been called out for a purpose. We've been brought together for a reason. God has a plan and a purpose for our church. Amen. Amen. The summons is for everyone to come and shoulder his responsibilities. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 says, We are called, the church is called, out of every kindred, every tribe, every nation. Amen. And we are called out of darkness into his light. Praise the Lord. That's 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand? A bit of a different message this morning. My wife is shrugging her shoulders at me going, praise the Lord. Just It's Mother's Day. And you're probably thinking, this is a really bizarre Mother's Day message, Pastor. But the truth is, is that while it is biblical to honor our earthly mothers, we should also remember and honor our spiritual mother, the church. And what I've wanted to do today is give you a little bit of an understanding about who the church is, what the church does, why the church does it. Amen. Because we are called out. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. As soon as I get there. says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, today, we honor our mothers. Amen? We celebrate our mothers and all the work that we do. And that's good. It's right. It's proper. We should. Amen? But we need to learn to celebrate the church, too. We don't have such a thing as a church day. Amen. But we ought to learn to come together and love the church and by that I don't mean the building you know that I mean we need to come together and love one another celebrate one another support one another care for one another Amen. you know I don't know how much longer we've got till God comes back to take his church away so we've got a job to do Amen. and the Bible is exhorting us there right at the end We shouldn't forsake gathering together. What we do here on a Sunday is important. That's why I harp on about get your kids in church. Get your kids in church. Make sure they understand that the church is important. I know life happens. I get that. Sometimes there's sickness. Sometimes they can't make. I understand. right? But with everything that's within you, we got to promote the church. Don't tear the church down. You know, when I was growing up, I never criticized my mother's cooking. That was just foolishness. Didn't have to. She was a good cook. Right? But can you imagine if Sam sat down for dinner one night, mom and dad, Sam's like, what's this? I want that. Can you imagine what dad would do? And yet how often spiritually now do we get in our cars, we drive home, Ugh, did you see what such and such was wearing? Did you see what they did? God, they couldn't even control their kids during church. What you're doing is you're attacking the church. You're attacking what God loves. You're attacking what God gave His life for. You're attacking what God has called out of darkness and into His life. You're attacking what God loves. You're attacking His bride. And if anyone did that to my wife... I'd get very, very angry. How do you think God feels when we start talking against the church? Talking against what God is doing. I don't like what the church is going. I don't like all these new people. I've heard stories of people who have left churches because the church was changing. New people were coming. Isn't that what church is meant to be about? Amen. And so today we honor our mothers. But let's honor the church, in our conversation, in our lifestyle, in the actions that we take. Amen? Praise the Lord. Precious Jesus. Let's just talk to the Lord right now. Feel your presence here, Lord. I don't know why you had me preach this message, Lord. There's a purpose and a plan to everything, Lord, and God, it's so easy sometimes to get discouraged at what we see in the church. It's not a perfect church, Lord. There is no such thing full of imperfect humans who, who make mistakes time and time again, Lord God. But help us to honor your church, Lord God. Help us to lift it up, Lord God, for our families, for our community, Lord God, for our world to see, Lord God. Because it's not a plan B. It's not, a, it's not another option, Lord. It is the only option is the church it is the only way to be saved is to be a part of the true church Lord God to be a part of what you've called out Lord God so help us Lord to honor your church Lord to love the church Lord to love being a part of what you're doing Lord God Lord, that whether we're fellowshipping here or or you know, who knows what the future holds, Lord God, one day we might move away, Lord God. It doesn't mean we're not a part of the church, Lord God. We're just meeting with a different group of people, Lord God. But even then, Lord, help us to honor, Lord. We're not talking about honoring Hope Divine, we're not talking about honoring Pastor Jason, we're not talking about honoring the leadership team, Lord God. We're talking about honoring this idea, God, that you have called us out of darkness and joined us together for a purpose, Lord God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank you for the church, Lord God. Lord, with all its imperfections sometimes and problems, Lord God, Lord, it is still beautiful, Lord, and you have designed it in such a way to point to you, Jesus. Help us to be a church that points to you, Lord God. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Why don't we sing this song together before we dismiss? Just sing that last song we sang, Presence is Heaven to Me. And, and why don't you just lift your hands, worship the Lord, thank the Lord that we're in a in a part of the world where we can do this freely, where we have the right to assemble, to gather together as a church, and to worship and exalt Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.